There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's wonderful to be back with you again for yet another week. And I also want to say a big thank you to my guest, Jim Palmer, uh, who joined us on the show last week and was talking about uh, living lives of your dreams and, and creating a business that you dream of. A really interesting and enjoyable show that. So if you've not heard the show with Jim Palmer, please do check that out. So I'm really excited to talk with my guest today. Uh, her name is Maureen Metcalf, and uh, Maureen um, also has a show on Voice America, um, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Um, so it's lovely to have the opportunity to really uh, touch base with Maureen and find out about the things that she does in her, her work. Now, Maureen um, says that she's found that past successful skills and leadership strategies that are insufficient are insufficient to master the obstacles that businesses currently face. Key executives must continually evolve to be able to manage increasingly complex and volatile conditions, yet they rarely do. So the question here today is, are your key executives ill-equipped to navigate the escalating rate of change that your organization faces? We're going to have to look at in the world today. There's so much change going on, isn't there, in the world of business and the world of politics and technology. So, you know, how do we really you know, keep up to speed and keep our people up to speed? So during the show, Maureen Metcalf, who's the founder and CEO and board chair of Metcalf and Associates, uh, will be talking to me. She's a really highly sought after expert in anticipating and leveraging future business trends to transform organizations. She's very cleverly captured her 30 years of experience and success in an award-winning series of nine books, which are used by public, private, and academic organizations to help them align company-wide strategies, systems, and culture with innovative leadership techniques. And having written one book myself, uh, my hat goes off to her in writing nine. Uh, For years, she's been willing to share her hard-won insights through conference speaking, industry publications, radio talk shows, video presentations, coaching, consulting, and writing for top publications such as Forbes. So a huge, huge welcome today to Maureen Metcalf. Thank you, Christopher. I'm really excited to be here. It's quite an honor to be on your show. That's okay. Absolute pleasure to um, to have you here, Maureen. And feel free to call me Chris because only my mum calls me Christopher, me Christopher when she's Sorry. angry. So <laughs> suddenly I'm getting all nervous. <laughs> okay, Chris. I'll, so, I'll correct myself quickly. <laughs> um, so, Maureen, and tell me, where do you come from? You know, where's, where's, where do you live at the moment, and what's your background, and you know, what's inspired you to do the work that you do? So, um, grew up as a military kid, so we moved around a bit. I was born in Germany. I grew up mostly in the DC area and now live in Columbus, Ohio. And what really inspires me to do this work is having been earlier in my career, I just spent 12 years with big consulting firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers and Accenture, and worked with uh, both great firms, worked with clients who were trying to transform their organizations and some more effective than others. And what it really led me to believe is while the work we did at those firms was exceptional, there were some things that we probably weren't attending to enough, which is why there's so much research about uh, organizations in the process of transforming, but many of them don't deliver the business results that they are intending to, even though they deliver the product or process change. So that led me to to wonder what was missing and how could my work make a dent in that trend. Mm. And do you think, uh, I'm imagining more, and I don't mind saying this, but I think we're probably similar age. And I kind of look back over my career and sort of the work and the projects I've done in consultancy, and I find that actually to really help companies transform, you, need, you probably need to have been around a bit and to really have you know, experienced lots of examples and case studies. And I just wonder whether actually in these sorts of scenarios, it helps to 
engage with people who've got lots of experience? My sense is yes, because we've, as with anything else, right, you learn from your mistakes as well as your successes. And having done this for now, I guess, decades, I'd like to believe that that those experiences contribute to a lot more success for my clients. Mm. I mean, I guess um, you said you come from come from Columbia, Ohio, and you you you, you had a background where you traveled a lot with family and uh, growing up. Um, it sounds like your life was probably you know lots of case studies when you were younger. Um, how, how has that impacted the work you do now? Maybe moving around and living in different places and experiencing that kind of military life? You know, I wonder, it's a great question. I haven't given it much thought, but I would assume that having to pick up and go someplace new on a relatively regular basis it prepared me for dealing with change and then going into consulting where I was with new clients pretty regularly, again, having to read a situation pretty quickly, adapt and respond to the stimulus that was coming my way really contributed to how we look at leadership now, specifically in our model where we talk about situational analysis, that I have to understand what's going on around me. And in many cases, I don't have a long time to assess. So I have to build a kind of judgment that allows me and judgment that allows me to respond. And also I talk a lot about leaders as scientists I there is a lot I'm just not going to know and and yet I can formulate a hypothesis make the smallest practical step forward and experiment and grow with each step so I think to your point some of the moving around both with parents as a young person and then as an adult really forced me to build that business agility Mm-hmm. Now you talk about innovating leadership, and which is quite a specific topic. Uh, why is innovating leadership so important to you? You know, some of this came through working with clients again, and watching really good leaders struggle, and in many cases end up not thriving and the organizations suffer as well because they spent so much time focusing externally on the things they were leading and didn't really update what I would say is their inner algorithm. And so if we use the comparison to technology, most of the people listening, I'm assuming, don't carry a flip phone. They, they have a smartphone. And most of us update our smartphones every couple of years when the contracts run out or, or when technology changes. And yeah, and similar with our laptops. It seems like right now Microsoft sends me updates continually. I'm sure that's not the case, but it seems like it. And so if I am continually updating the software in my devices, would I not also continually update the thinking algorithm as a leader, because ultimately the product I provide as a leader is leadership. And yet for people who are, again, so busy, you know, if we're working in many cases, 12, 16 hours a day, when do we have time and do we build that into our work expectations of ourselves? Yeah, yeah, it could be very easy to get lost in the operational doing with uh, with huge workloads. So just do you want to maybe just define for us what you see innovative leadership actually meaning? Sure. So in its simplest sense, it is innovating how I lead. So I can use a couple of simple examples through positive psychology now and some of the work of Gallup talking about uh, engaging employees. What we've learned is we should have a best friend at work. And so let me give an example of working with a client right now, brilliant, brilliant physician and researcher. And she and I grew up around the same era and we were taught that 
you work at work and you have friends outside of work. And yet, if I continue to take that stance, the people who work with me will find me a bit distant and unapproachable. And that can actually reduce the level of engagement. So I grew up with don't be too friendly. And now research is saying appropriate professional warmth, not overdoing, not best. Well, the Gallup work says best friend at work. I would, I would modify that to say best professional friend. But that's an example of what does it mean to continually innovate how we think about the craft of leadership. And so the workbooks that I wrote and the books it co-wrote all walk through a, a process of helping leaders build the the practice of innovating how they lead, uh, building resilience, those types of things. And that is always done in the context of the organization. So while we have models about what optimal leadership looks like, one of the books is for physicians, one is for nonprofits, one is for global leaders. Each of those categories of leaders are going to lead differently. So we really try to tailor the books toward the the role of the leader, not a generic be a good leader type approach. So it's very much about depending upon your particular style to leadership. It's about looking at how you maybe do things differently. So, um, and, and adapt to what's required today. I'm, I'm, what's going through my mind listening to you, Maureen, is like I work quite a lot with academics in universities um, as well as uh, lots of organisations. And what I find with academics often is that they um, they have lots of you know PhDs and qualifications and that sort of thing. But when it comes to maybe delivering really engaging sessions w- with their students, they sometimes fall short. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of rely on that that detail and research and analysis and that sort of thing, but they're not necessarily innovating when it comes to really creating that magic that makes them special to listen and learn from. Absolutely. I, I also work a lot with universities, and that's a great example, the flipping the classroom. I went back to see one of my favorite professors a few years ago, and I think he was still teaching from the same paper notes with his back to the class writing on a blackboard. And while that was engaging to me when I was in college, it's not to our new generation. No, it was, wasn't to me when I was. In <laughs> <laughs> I had a brilliant, I had a brilliant law teacher called Mr. Finnegan. He was, he was just so much fun and told us great stories. And then he moved on to a different course, and someone else joined and had no level of engagement whatsoever, and just got spent her time getting angry with us because we weren't listening at her, never <laughs> realizing that it was actually she had she had some responsibility to play for that. <laughs> so we've just got a few minutes left till commercial break, um, about three now. And I wonder, how do you become an innovative leader? What what do you do? Well, so, so at the core, there's a simple six step process, starting with my vision and values. Who am I, and what do I care about? And what do I want to accomplish? And then I do a SWOT analysis. This is the same basic stuff we would do in many kind of change processes. Then I build a development plan. I build a plan for who will support me. And then I put that into practice, look at the barriers and continue to refine my goals as I go forward and then ultimately make those habit. So on the surface, this seems simple, and yet the process of human change, as we know, is nothing near simple. And the content of what goes in the plan is really a lot of the magic of coming out of the SWOT analysis. What feedback do I do? Maybe I'm working with a 360 or something like that where I get feedback from others about what I need to change. And often I'm also working with people in the process of getting promoted. So helping them understand what will be required at the next level of performance within the organization. And, and so they're building new skills in many cases. I see. So I'm, when I listen to you and we talk about this sort of analytical process to, um, to help somebody become more innovative, I also, 
you know, if I, I think about that example I mentioned about the lecturers there, you know, for someone like me who's very people orientated, um, I don't really have a great challenges with the people side. Though I can always get better and better, but where, maybe where I have challenges and maybe need to be more innovative with my style is around that more that more rigorous analytical side. So, so basically, you, presumably, you work with people in different ways depending upon where where they naturally sit. Absolutely. And that's what makes the work fascinating. While there are a series of books, the content that goes into the framework with each person is different. Part of what I love about my work is humans are complicated and they're fun. People most that I work with are really earnest in trying to make the changes that will help them be deliver their potential in the world. And that's kind of cool. Mm. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, we shall um, start to have a, a look about uh, things like um, you know, talk about this book series that you've created, and um, and also you know how innovative leadership really can help to uh, tran- connect to transforming organisations. So do join us again, and after the break, we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about um, about innovative leaders. And I'm really um, interested to find out a little bit more about your book series, Maureen. Uh, I know you've written there's nine books in that series, and I wondered what what motivated you to create it, and maybe you could just give us a a feel as to what what sits in there and how people use it. Sure. So, so the first one came as a result of teaching in an MBA program. And while there are great books available, I was really looking for something with a case study mapping what I was asking students to do. So the first one really came out of both client work I was doing and grad students building that case study along with the framework. And then I I was working with a senior executive and I had asked her to work on something and she said, so give me a template. And I said, well, it's in the book. And she said, no, I want a template. And so I put together just a basic Word document template and example. And I wrote that up for her and came to realize over time working with clients that most of them really would benefit. They didn't want to go find something in a book because they're busy. That's what they're paying me to help them do. So I wanted to make, create the books that would help them do the work and also different sectors within our, our client base really were looking for different examples so physicians wanted physician examples not nonprofit examples and likewise and so coming out of both the the desire to tailor content to my clients and there's another piece of this for me is creating 
tools for people who would never be able to afford a university class or a coach that they can still have access to workbooks. And that's, that is more for emerging leaders and many leaders, if they're paying out of pocket, aren't, they're supporting their families. They're not paying for coaches. And so in service of helping solve some of the world's biggest problems and creating leaders that can do that, creating tools was really important to me. Thanks. So, so these, these books, there are a series of, as you say, uh, tools and workbooks people can work with around or different aspects of innovating leadership, or is it broader than that? So there are seven on innovating leadership, and there are two on transforming organizations. And really what I set out to do was write a book about transforming organizations, and, and yet it seemed like leadership was the core of, or one of the foundational pieces. But the transformation book looks at both how do I transform myself as a leader in service of changing organizations. And I did that because we are moving so fast watching examples of things like Airbnb changing industries or self-driving cars. So if I look up and do an, an environmental scan and realize my industry may be going away or changing dramatically, I need to change the organization. And it seemed like one of the missing pieces is, again, leaders jump in and try to change it, whatever it is, the business, the employees, the processes, the systems. And they don't always stand back and figure out what they need to change about themselves that will allow them to change the organization. And Go ahead. I was just thinking that's that's so true, isn't it? It's often, you know, leaders think from the perspective of, um, yeah, what do I change as opposed to looking at themselves? So um, one of my uh, a keynote that I, I deliver regularly, I, I talk about engagement that you were talking about earlier, which is a real passion of mine. Um, but my a, key, a keynote that I deliver regularly is that engagement starts with you. Uh, it doesn't start with changing everybody else you've got to take a good long look at yourself and make sure you're engaged and engaging and understand those aspects um before you start engaging others um so i'm completely with you with that yeah i love the idea of of looking in the mirror first rather than looking at those people first yeah yes it's um kind of looking looking uh, in the mirror rather than you're looking at looking through the window at others. That's a really good, <laughs> point. <laughs> good point. Um, so we've got this. There's a series of different um, books in there which can really kind of help us. But I'm really intrigued to know. You know, this it is a significant piece of work that you've created there. I mean, what what did you learn from this broad compilation of work? Really, when it comes to focusing on this area of innovative or innovating leadership. You know, the combination of the books. And the interviews, uh, doing this radio show as well. One, I am incredibly hopeful that I, the people I work with, well, we all struggle to move to the next level, whatever that is, either more effective in our current role or move into a new role. I, I am heartened by and hopeful that people are so earnest in wanting to solve the problems they face and make the world better. And so there, I have a lot of lessons about different kinds of tools and how people change. But my biggest takeaway is it's easy to be discouraged as I watch the news. And yet I counterbalance that with the fact that there are people who are working diligently, who are very competent to resolve the problems that we are facing and create a future for our kids that that is as good or better than what we have. It's just going to be different. Mm. I, I think that that's really helpful there because it answers the question as to why. Why should people be prepared to change and to adapt? And you know, what you're saying there is that and if we, or I'm interpreting it as, if we want to make a significant contribution in the world while we're here, uh, uh, it is difficult to make that keep making that step to the next level. But actually, really taking a look at yourself and developing yourself and being prepared to look at some of the aspects that you talk about in your books um, 
helps us to add more value, to answer bigger questions, to make a bigger contribution um, to what is a, a complex world. And I guess also uh, is that with the rate of technology today, we have to keep abreast because um, our brains weren't necessarily designed for all this change. I don't think they were. If we look back at the rate of how humans developed over time, we went through probably a 50,000-year period where we didn't develop a change in the thinking algorithm. The the world operated as it did with, and we were able to keep up with it. And now the question is with technology change, how are we as humans have to change or, or somebody has to change because somebody has to be answering these questions, uh, the systemic ones that are created by technology. So some of one that strikes me as, will need to be addressed is something like cloning. At what point are are parents able to select genetics for children? And how do we how do we legislate to ensure that there aren't abuses happening from what is happening in a lab? Yes. Yes. Uh, th- I think we've also got robotics as well, haven't we? That's going to be really interesting. Uh, the kind of mm-hmm. artificial it, intelligence and the idea that we could live to be a hundred, you and I, yeah. and certainly the children being born now are expected to live to be over a hundred. So that raises questions about you know, the the systems that support us now, like social security and retirement and healthcare. And who pays for what and how How are these things funded in the long term? We are currently facing, I think, some big questions that have to be addressed as through a systemic view, not an individual view. So, so if we're doing whack-a-mole leadership, I'm just going to change through a budgetary action how food stamps are delivered. It doesn't address systemically how do we deal with the fact that there are a lot of people who are working poor and that will likely increase dramatically given the things you talked about like AI yeah there's some just just to maybe articulate though what you mean by systemic uh, because it's a word Mm. that is starting to be used increasingly more I think in the last year or two really so I can give a just from something I was reading this morning about cutting food stamps. And so the question is, if our federal government pays less, that may be appropriate if we shift to the states, the administration of those programs and maybe to the counties from a conceptual view. What, in my view, needs to happen is. Uh, not just a cut of a budget line, but a handoff and making a plan proactively for how we will attend to people who are working and don't have enough food. So so for me, it's a bigger question of who are the entities involved and how do we attend to a, a change in one area will ripple through the system, right? So that flows through state welfare, it flows to food banks, it flows to churches, it flows to school lunch programs. If we make a change in one area, and and that is true now globally because so many of our businesses are interconnected that I can't change something I do in the U.S. without having a global impact in many cases, and yet I don't don't believe that we are always paying attention to the the ripples that a single decision makes. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I've had this conversation with one or two of my clients who've got uh, you know their their scope seems very big. Uh, which the frameworks that they operate in, I'm thinking about health service, and but actually they they just can't see the parameters and the impact, the bigger picture of what they're actually doing. It's just too big, um, mm-hmm. and that, that's quite hard operating in that, isn't it? To to not really understand what the bigger consequences actually are. 
Well, and here's here's one of the things that I find most interesting is the developmental psychology bit that that helps leaders develop the complexity of their thinking, their emotional intelligence, the behavior, the time horizon and on which they focus. So if we're not developing leaders to have significantly more complex thinking, then to your point, we're going to have clients and executives and government officials who are trying to solve a small problem when in fact what is at hand is a much bigger problem. It, and one one enabler, I think, is some of the AI in the analytics. We can now get our hands around more data to help us make more informed decisions. Mm. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating subject. Now, how does that, so we, so we can access more data and things, but you know, how does your work really, really connect to transforming organizations? What, um, what do people need to do with it to make that shift when they have to make, I'm thinking of company, you know, it's a company like Kodak, which had to transform its market completely shifted and it didn't. Um, mm-hmm. How do people really make this work for them? So I can think of a couple places where we need as executives to be continually looking at trends, right? So I conducted a strategic planning session last week and there was a lot of data collection before that planning session in looking out over the horizon at what are other organizations doing and what are what trends will likely impact us over the next five years. And I realized we don't have a crystal ball, but that has to be an ongoing data collection so that something like we all talk about Netflix and Uber and Airbnb, we know to use the self-driving car example, we know that they are going to happen. We can anticipate that they'll impact the insurance industry, the car repair industry, maybe the entire how many cars do people have. If I can drive to work and send my car home so that it is, it's with someone at home, we may only be a one car family. So, mm-hmm. so there, the other one that was, I was thinking about the other day in preparation for a, a conversation was what happens to the state highway patrol? Will we need the same amount of police if all cars at some point in the future are driving themselves? Yes. Yeah. So, so to circle back to close out that question, I think as leaders, it is incumbent upon us much more now because of the rate of change to be paying attention to these trends and looking at the scenarios of how they're going to impact us. Mm. I, we've got about a minute to go now, but I'm we got, we're also thinking about things like social media, you know, and Facebook and uh, twi- twi- um, Twitter and, you know, the consequences of, you know, terrorists using it as a as a tool or you know it, it can be used for a force for good but also a force not for good and um, but some of those consequences probably you know weren't considered until it was um, out there growing expanding at a rapid rate i absolutely agree the the unintended consequences can be phenomenal and again to the complexification now the security folks need to be paying a lot more attention to cybersecurity, not just physical security, because what puts us at risk could be a kid on the other side of the world with a computer. It's a a scary thought, but it's it's probably already starting to happen. We're seeing it, aren't we? We're seeing examples. uh... We are. Well, and the other is that terrorists no longer look like other. They can look like our homegrown kids who were engaging over the internet they don't have we don't have to send them to some faraway land they go to their room you think they're doing their homework mm. and and they're engaging in being indoctrinated to something we can't imagine there, there are plenty of um, problems and challenges out there for bright people to uh uh to increase their innovative thinking uh to help solve on that and <laughs> Lots of well, and out yeah, that and that's the for me. That's the the invitation is the world's getting more complex, whether we like it or not. So, how do we respond proactively? We're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we're going to talk about um, about the the future and how the leadership landscape is changing. And I'd also love before we go just to 
to get a, a sense from Maureen, Maureen's uh, now had a, a hundred um, interviews, and I'd love to get a sense of what she's learned from her interviews. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes to join us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper here. I'm with Maureen Metcalf. We're talking about innovative uh, leaders. And Maureen, I want to talk to you about now your um the, the book which we, we've discussed which is leadership 2050 and i'm really intrigued to know how you see the future leadership landscape now changing so again in the spirit of being hopeful the research right now is saying that the level of leadership we think is required to transform large complex organizations is what what is called strategist in the models created by Suzanne Cook-Greuter and Bill Torbert and a series of others. And that was written up in Harvard Business Review a few years ago by Torbert. That strategist model, our contribution, and I worked with Mike Morrow-Fox and Susan Cannon to, to create a competency model that looks not only at behaviors but also mindsets to quantify what that leader of the future looks like. And it is some of the things we've already talked about, like we call it a 360-degree thinker. It's someone who is incredibly complex in their thinking. A couple others are cares about getting it right rather than being right. So really focused on living their purpose rather than being driven by ego committed to right action, so willing to endure the challenges because it, things always get tough, right, at some point in time. Yes. Am, I, am I able and willing to withstand the difficulties because I'm on a mission? Mm. Another that gets to the more personal is highly authentic and reflective, so I am continually examining myself and focusing on how can I improve. I am able to inspire followership. So I attend to more than just myself, but how do, if we're trying to accomplish a mission, I need to be that person who is trustworthy, able to deal with conflict, understands change, understands humans, and is the kind of person that people want to follow and then finally innately collaborative back to the idea of as the world becomes more complex our leaders are less able to solve problems by themselves they have to collaborate and so having those skills to pull the right people into the room so having a personal network as well get the right people engaged and promote the idea that I want differing points of view and I'm able to, I or someone 
is able to synthesize different perspectives. So again, that that speaks to, I don't have all the answers. I need to be surrounded by people who differ and big enough as a person to, to engage in conversations where I'm not going to be right. Mm-hmm. There's, um, yeah, there's a great a great list there. I'd recommend to people actually to, um, if you're listening to this live, uh, to uh, you know, take the recording and um, and to rewind wind it and to just take a pen and paper out and and list some of those and summarise them because there's a real valuable uh, set of thinking there, which I, I believe as well. I, I couldn't, you know, I agree with everything that you've said there in terms of the kind of qualities that we really need today, and that's a. Uh, that's a long way from the typical leader of the past, I think. It, it is. And that, so, so I don't give up on what we did in the past, but it's, I have to build on it. It's insufficient to rely on what worked before. Hmm. I like that one as well. You know, the, you know, committed to right action. Sometimes that right action can be really tough, as you've said, but, uh, Sometimes I think you have to look really deeply at the truth behind a situation and a scenario and even, you know, something may look really good, but actually at the core it might not be and something might have to change, but being prepared to make that decision I think is really important. Um, I've seen that with things like, uh, you know, changing, changing really charismatic leaders and really charismatic football coaches and things like that and you know people disagree but actually when um, the results have been looked at 12 months later it was it was well worth the, the pain um so so what, you know, what's your level of optimism around leadership you know and, and it's being able to be up for the task that we need i am optimistic and yet Again, the data suggests that we have between one and a half and four percent of our business leaders in the U.S. are functioning at this strategist level. So we're not there, wow. and not that everyone has to be at that level by any stretch, but we need more. So I am optimistic that we have models for what it looks like. We've got tools and processes to help get us there. Certainly, we collaborate with a lot of brilliant people and and many of them have been interviewed on our show who help people move through that process. And I, I personally work with a lot of leaders who are committed to making that happen. What I would say as a call to action for people who aren't engaged in it, who feel like they may not be properly equipped or they're too old or they're too young or too whatever, I am... I suggest that everyone is required, that that there are changes that have to happen across the landscape. And I would like to ask that everyone participate in that. Our world is better when we're all engaged and there, it's not like we have extra people, right? Like I, I have an extra card in the deck and I can throw it away. We don't have people who are superfluous so it's the call to action. Mm, mm. Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, the world when people are engaged, working together, there's a magic there, isn't there? Uh, where, you know, more is delivered, more is achieved. Um, when people are feeling, you know, together and, uh, you know, following people that they admire and um, there's authenticity and there's collaboration. Um, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. It to, does. To and and when people are engaged and using their talents, they they bring more to the world, right? They we would have I, I assume, and not that I want to be completely idealistic, but if we look at the amount of drugs and overdoses and heroin and things that we're facing, I would submit that some of that would be reduced if people were fully engaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. It really does have a positive impact, I think, on huge unwell-being. My, my wife's a, a medic, and uh, we, you know, we we talk about examples like that all the time. 
Um, just um, before we, um, we start to wrap up, I'd love to get a sense as well. Um, you know, are, are the, you know, the leadership principles that we've all studied and practiced, are they, are they, are they shifting as well? I, I think the foundation still holds true. So, so the example of, I think we still need a leadership vision as an, as an example, but how that materializes in an organization is now different. I still do a five-year plan, but it's more of a scenario plan. And I recognize that, again, with the rate of change, I need to be continually revisiting my assumptions and updating, and it's not that I'm now going to spend all my time planning, but this adding in the idea of agility that I shift from command and control, which made sense in the world, to get us through the industrial revolution in a knowledge era in organizations that are significantly knowledge focused, it's not optimal. So how do we implement things like a culture of agility where I am continually experimenting so I'm able to form a hypothesis I take an action that is the smallest required to get to the next step and I find with clients this is such a relief because in times of volatility I don't I don't have time to figure out what's the next right step and by the time I do something has changed so I am perpetually in a state of being frozen and afraid of getting it wrong. If I can take small steps and learn from those, and certainly not everything is like that. If I'm building a building, it's not a small step. We commit to building. Mm. But many things don't require a long-term commitment. So I can, a client I was working with last uh, couple weeks ago is a membership organization and they're experimenting with changing membership rates and is there a pay online reduced rate in addition to a full-blown member rate now there are lots of things that we we don't know but we can do an experiment that doesn't implode doesn't destroy the base of revenue and yet may attract a, a new category of members so we do an introductory offer and see what happens. And so, so a lot more data focus. Allow, so, so I say all of that to say that that shift from command and control, so it's a mindset shift to more experimentation, I think is an example of how leadership is changing. Excellent. We're getting very close to the end of the interview now. I'm really just keen to know you've, you've, recorded now your 100th radio show i believe and uh and i know myself it takes a lot of work and commitment and discipline so i uh, mean lots of uh, respect for doing that um and i'm really intrigued to know you know what have been your biggest maybe maybe share with a couple of takeaways that have really impacted you from all those amazing people that you've had the privilege of interviewing i love the way you put that because it is a privilege um one back to the theme of hopeful there are such brilliant people in the world taking action on so many levels that i i had no idea so i walk away thinking that most of the problems can be solved and there are a couple things that strike me one the importance of resilience and well-being one of the guests that i learned the most from is gary weber and that's a tough statement because there are so many people i've learned from he talks about brain science and how as leaders how do we shift the way we think about things that's really causing me to think about how leaders change and how much of the change is Program, how much of our behaviors are unconscious. And as Jim Ritchie Dunham talking about unconscious agreements, how much do we have to change our physiological brains to change how we lead? As one example of something that strikes me as um, changing the way I work. Mm, I like it. Yeah. 
It'd be really interesting to listen back to uh, to that one. Um, we've, we're just about to end the interview now, Maureen. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I wonder if you've got a final message you'd like to leave us with today. I think there are two. One is the call to action. Everyone matters. And we each get to make an impact in the world. And what an exciting time to be alive. And Chris, thank you so much for inviting me as a guest and creating an opportunity to talk about my life's work and inviting people to to continually innovate and update how they lead so that they can reach their full potential. Maureen, you shared a very you know, a very powerful message, something I think that is hugely important. I think you put it into the context of this um, you know, this changing world and, and the pace. And I love the qualities that you described in there of, of leaders uh, moving forward. And I think people really should take note on that. And I think also, you know, there is a message of hope with all this change that um, you, you, people can have a big, big contribution uh, to make. And we need people to really step up. If only one and a half to four percent of people are, are functioning at that level. Um, so I want to say a huge thank you to you for the work that you do, um, for you know highlighting this to people and uh, supporting. And I know you, you put a huge amount of effort into your radio show as well. Um, so I recommend people go and listen to that. Um, so, um, you know, thanks so much for taking the time, Maureen, and, and being a guest on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chris. It's an honor to be here. Oh, just a final thing before we go. Um, I just also want to mention, if you want for more information on Maureen, do go to metcalf-associates.com. So that's M-E-T-C-A-L-F-E-associates.com, and there'll be lots of information there about Maureen and her work. So wish you all a wonderful uh, week. On my show next week, I've got uh, MetaBlock, who was on my guest on my first ever show back in September 2011, and still get feedback on how great that show was. She's a twice world champion from Denmark and a huge inspiration. So do join us when I talk with Meta next week. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.